Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. You know, when we initiate with someone, we learn a lot about where the relationship is probably going to go based on the kind of response we get, whether it's a a half-hearted response or an all-in kind of response. So if there's somebody that you would like to get to know better and you reach out to them and say, hey, you know, can we get together for coffee? There's a big difference if their response is kind of like evasive, vague, yeah, I'm kind of busy over the next couple of weeks, you know, kind of elusive, versus somebody that's like, oh, wow, that sounds awesome. Okay, let me get my calendar out and let's figure out when we can do this, right? I mean, there's a very big difference in the vibe between those those two responses. So God is the great initiator. Romans 1 through 11 is all about God's initiation toward us to make us right with him. He knew that we could not be right with him on our own, so he went to great lengths to come up with a plan, to carry out that plan, and now to offer it to us as the great initiator. And so we we see a great summary of that in two key verses from the first part of of Romans. Romans 5, 8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, that is an all-in kind of love. Christ gave everything for us. And then Romans 8, 32 says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I mean, God's initiation toward us is an all-in kind of initiation. And the question is, what will our response be to him? What kind of response will we have? Will it be half-hearted or will it be all in? We're at the point in our study in Romans where we come to the point of seeing what God expects of us as a response to all that he has done for us. And to be honest with you, as we see God's expectation of us, it may be more than some of us bargained for when we signed up for this. When we, when we said, I wanna be a follower of Jesus, we may not have had in mind the expectation that God has for us. But here's what I can say to you, that what he offers to us far, far, far outweighs what he asks of us, and what he offers to us comes before what he asks of us. We're gonna see all of that this morning. If you would take a Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you and you're here in the room, there are some on the seat close to you and Romans 12 is on page 1049. 
As Sharon said, we are transitioning to season four. And if you're, if you're fairly new with us, just wanna give you the overview of Romans. We started back in January. And because Romans is a, is a pretty long book, this is a pretty long study, we've divided this up into sections and seasons to kind of help us track with it so it's not just one big, long study. So season one of Romans, from chapters one through about halfway through chapter three, is the righteousness of God revealed in universal condemnation. And that the righteousness of God there is revealed by contrast to us as human beings, our fallenness and the the condemnation that we deserve because we cannot live up to God's standard. So there's a hopelessness in those first several chapters that's, that's pretty heavy. Then though, we get to good news in season two about halfway through chapter three, all the way through chapter five, the righteousness of God revealed in accessible salvation. A salvation, a righteousness that is extended as an invitation to to everyone, regardless of background, age, gender, all of that. Season three then, we moved into, and we're just coming out of, the righteousness of God revealed in special election. And so that is chapters nine through 11. I think I said the wrong chapters on season three, but season three, on chapter two. Anyway, season three is uh, chapters nine through 11, looking at God's special relationship with the nation of Israel and how that impacts the rest of the world who is not part of that nation. Now we're moving into the final, the fourth and final season the righteousness of God revealed in our personal transformation. So there's a lot in the first 11 chapters of Romans that is global, it's universal, it's big picture. Now we're getting into how does the righteousness of God work its way out in and impact our everyday life. And so today we're gonna look at just two verses These are two of my favorite verses have had a huge impact on on my life. And it is the perfect transition from the first 11 chapters that are focused very much on our belief. What, What do we believe about God and ourselves and our relationship with him to behavior? Because the last chapters of Romans are all about our behavior in response. So let's read these two verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and sisters are included in that as well, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's a lot, lot, lot in these verses. That's why we devoted one whole message to it. Let's unpack it here to the extent that we can in the time that we have. The first phrase here, I appeal to you therefore. Anytime you see a therefore, you wanna ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? So the therefore is pointing back to those first 11 chapters. So therefore, in light of, and and he says, by the mercies of God, the whole, those 11 chapters are describing the mercies of God. So he says, by the mercies of God. That, That preposition could mean in light of the mercies of God, 
by means of the mercies of God, because of the mercies of God. So the mercy of God that has been demonstrated to us becomes our motivation and our empowerment to to do what God asks of us. Don't, Don't think you can behave your way into righteousness with God apart from the belief in what Christ has done for you. Our behavior really flows from our belief and our trust in what Christ has done. That's that's what we see all the way back in our theme verse, and this is a good time to review, our theme verse for Romans 117. Again, for those of you who are new, so if you you come to Grace Point on any given Sunday, we're gonna focus on a text in the Bible, and we're gonna unpack that, we're gonna explain it, we're gonna illustrate it, The book of Romans is all a, it's basically a sermon based on one verse, and that is Romans 1.17, which is a quotation from the book of Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk. And I I wanna quiz you on this, those of you who are here. So we we should know this, we wanna know this inside and out, so we're, we're gonna fill in the blanks here. I'll get you started. The one who by is shall All right, very good. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. In total contrast to our culture and to every other religion that says the one who by performance is righteous, the one who by your efforts and by my work to try to work my way into being right with God, that's how we live. That's what That's what every other religion says. That's what our culture pushes towards us. And so this flies in the face of all of that and it takes a long time to wrap our heads around that. It is, this is truly a transformation of our mind. That's, we're gonna talk more about that this morning. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. And so this is a quotation from Habakkuk, an Old Testament prophet, But what we're seeing as Paul explains and expands on this verse is that we could fill into this verse very accurately, the one who by faith in Christ is righteous and he shall live in the spirit. That's what Romans 8 is is all about, living in the spirit. So that's a little bit of review. So in light of all that Christ has done for us, Christ giving all for you, God now asks all from you. That's what verse one tells us here in Romans 12. I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So we give all because God gave all. God is calling for us to give all because he has given all for us first. Paul uses three phrases to capture this all-in kind of idea. To present our bodies as a living sacrifice, to be transformed, and then to be renewed in our mind. We'll look at each one of these briefly. First, he calls us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul here is using the language of sacrifice from the Hebrew scriptures, from the Hebrew law. Present, this this word present is really a technical term 
that has to do with presenting an offering, presenting a sacrifice. And so God commanded his people to bring sacrifices of animals, and he, he demanded those animals to be perfect, without blemish, and complete. You're offering the whole animal. You're not just bringing part of it, you're bringing all of it. And so God demanded sacrifices that were acceptable, and he refused those that were not. For, for example, Jeremiah 6.20, God speaking, he says, your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices pleasing to me. There are times where people were just bringing their, their leftovers. They were bringing their, their, their sheep that had some kind of a physical problem. They were lame or because they wanted to keep the good ones for themselves. And God said, no, I want you to bring your best and I want you to give all of it to me. So that, this, is what, this is the language that's behind what Paul is saying. So there's a similarity here to, to these Old Testament sacrifice. God wants our best without blemish, so he wants us without blemish. What's the only way that we, you and I, can be without blemish? Is if we are in Christ. You and I, on our own, are not without blemish. We got lots of blemishes. But it is when we are washed in the blood, as we, as we sang about earlier, that's when our blemishes wash away. So he wants us to come in Christ without blemish and give him our best. But there's a big difference here between Old Testament sacrifices and what Paul is asking us to do, what's the big difference? He's asking for a living sacrifice. So the sacrifices of the Old Testament, of the, of the Old Covenant, were you're, you're putting an animal to death. Jesus was the final sacrifice that had to die and now, God says, we, we die to self, but we now become a living sacrifice. We are to offer him our life. And so, God says, present your all, your everything, and Paul concludes with, this is your spiritual worship. You may have a footnote in your Bible that's, that also says this could be translated your rational service. So it could be translated either way. The, the point of it is that our worship is not, it's not just singing on Sunday morning. It's not just coming here together. It's, it is everything. We, we offer our life, all of our life, as a sacrifice of worship. Every area of our life, every decision of our life, so our finances, our relationships, our sexuality, our work, our gifts, our talents, every part of our life we offer to him. And this is where I say, this may have been a little bit more than what you were bargaining for when you said, I'm gonna, gonna follow Jesus. But we give all because he gave all for us. The, the second word that shows that God wants us to be all in here is in verse two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed. That, that word is the Greek word metamorpho, from which we get, of course, metamorphosis. What comes to your mind when you think of the word metamorphosis? Butterfly, right? So it so happens we have a, a young teenage, young man here in our, our church. His name is Zach. 
and he loves to collect bugs of all kinds, and he loves to collect caterpillars when he finds them and watch them metamorphosize. I probably butchered that, but anyway, to change, to be transformed into a butterfly. So this is actually pictures that, that he took, put into a collage. And, and here's what I find really fascinating. This is a black, I wanna get this right, it's a black swallowtail butterfly, okay? He's done monarchs, he's done other kinds of things here. But um, here's what I find fascinating about this. Take a look at the caterpillar and then look at the butterfly. Like, there's like no resemblance whatsoever. This is a complete transformation. If you did not know that this is the way butterflies come to be, you would say that there's no relationship whatsoever between the first state and the, the final state. And so th this is the kind of transformation that Paul is talking about to happen in, inside of us. I mean, that's pretty amazing. The, the word metamorpho is the same word that we find in the Gospels when it talks about the transfiguration of Jesus. And so Matthew 17, too, says that Jesus was transfigured before them, before his disciples, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So Jesus was transformed visually to, to reflect his divine glory. What happens for you and me is we are transformed to look more like Jesus. We're not gonna become divine, but we are transformed to become more like Jesus. And so, so you can celebrate on this point this morning because what this means is that when you are in Christ, your final state is gonna look next to nothing like your initial state. If you look at your life and you say, wow, there is so much I wish I could change and I'm, I'm working on this thing and it just is relentless and I just feel like I'm never gonna get past this, know that one day you are gonna, God's gonna finish his work and you're gonna look like a butterfly to a caterpillar compared to what you look like when you got started with all of this. But just know that that, does, that process doesn't happen overnight. Just like it doesn't happen overnight with a butterfly. You could sit and watch the, the cocoon and the butterfly in there and you're not seeing anything happen. It, it happens over a period of time just like it does for, for you and for me. So we will and we must look different than the world around us. Verse two says, do not be conformed to this world. Uh, the J.B. Phillips paraphrase of this is kind of classic on this point. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. That language is actually very faithful to, to the Greek here. Don't let the world around, that's so easy, isn't it? To be squeezed into the mold of the world. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And so how does that happen? Well, we read on, Paul answers that question. Don't be transformed by the renewal of your minds. And so this is the third word that, that Paul uses to really convey this all-in kind of idea, just complete transformation. Our, tra our, our transformed behavior begins with a transformed mind, okay? Don't, don't try to just 
change your behavior without changing the way you think. We need to think differently to live differently. And we're gonna talk much more about that in just a, just a few minutes. But the outcome of having our mind renewed as we finish out the verse here is that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me clarify on, on this verse that this is not so much talking about God's personal will for you. I, I wanna figure out God's will for me, like what job should I take? What car should I buy? Where should I move? Okay, let me, let me put this into practice. This is not, this is not so much about the person, God's personal will for you. This is about God's moral will for you because he says you're just, we are discerning the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That word acceptable, we saw that already back in verse one, right? We're offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So the process of renewal that's going on for us is for us to determine and understand what does it look like? What does God expect from me? What does it look like for me to offer my body as a living sacrifice? Well, I learned to discern that as my mind is renewed. Paul wants us, and we've seen this in, in Romans over the course of what we've learned here, Paul wants us to move beyond needing rules to live by, but to just intuitively know, in concert with God's spirit in us, to know how, what does God want from me that is pleasing for him. So he wants us to move beyond the rules and the laws. The problem is that our minds are so conformed to the world around us that we have to keep having them renewed over and over again. That's why we need to stay in God's word to understand his mind so that our minds can be renewed to think more like he does. All right, there is like so much that we just covered um, I, I asked someone for help to help us put this into practice this morning. And so I wanna introduce you to Dr. Carl Benzio, who is a Christian psychiatrist, used to practice here in Bucks County, now lives in uh, New Jersey. But he and I got into a conversation, God orchestrated this conversation uh, a few months ago, and we got onto the subject of Romans 12, one and two, and so I thought he would be a great one. I, I, I was so fascinated by what he shared that I th thought I really want you guys to hear this. I think you're gonna love it. Dr. Carl Benzio is the medical director of the American Association of Christian Counselors, which is the largest Christian behavioral health organization in the world, and he's the co-founder of Honey Lake Clinic, which is in Florida. They do residential addiction treatment, but they're also very unique in that they do residential treatment for non-addiction mental health kinds of issues. So that, if, if you have a need for any of that, uh, just a tremendous resource there. I had a great conversation with him online. So take a look at the screen, and I think you'll appreciate this. Well, Carl, thank you so much for spending time with us talking about Romans 12, one and two, and I think we're, we're all gonna find this really helpful. Uh, would you tell us how your experience in medicine and psychology intersects with your understanding of scripture to create your perspective on this passage? Sure, uh, to me, I think 
Christians have a lot of difficulty with science oftentimes, but to me, science is simple. It's just the study of what God made, understanding how God designed it to function, and then learning how to steward it for his glory and our abundant living. To me, I'm biased being a psychiatrist, but to me, the most amazing creation of God's is the human mind. And the word psychiatry, the root suke, is Greek for the essence of a man, the spirit from a secular standpoint or the inner being. And so psychiatric science, understanding how God designed our mind to function, is the tool that helps us convert biblical truths into biblical living. So instead of just being hearers of the word, we're doers of the word. To me, that's, I call it practical neurotheology. The good news is God gave us a powerful mind. The bad news is God gave us a powerful mind. So for this reason, the battlefield of the spiritual war is the mind. And Satan uses lies, distortions. Um, he pushes our emotional buttons to get us off track from our biblical living. But if we look at Jesus, Jesus is the wonderful counselor and the great physician. So you put those two professionals together, that's the perfect psychiatrist. And in Matthew 13, verse 15, Jesus gives, his, gives us his healing prescription. He says, if people would see with their eyes, they see their selves, they see God, they see their situation accurately, see the truth. They hear with their ears. They hear God's answer for that situation. Then they understand in their heart how to connect the answer that they hear to the situation that they see. But it's not enough just to understand in their heart. They then have to um, turn meaning they trust that answer enough that they put it into action in the form of decision. When they make that decision based on those biblical truths, then he says, I'll heal them. And so both Bible and, this, and science talk about the healing of the mind with such great agreement, they just use different vocabulary. So I've developed a unique decision-making curriculum that integrates biblical principles and good sound psychological uh, science. And I've been blessed to have the front row seat whenever... Uh, in my private practice of just incredible transformational stories uh, starting up Honey Lake Clinic and what we see there. I've been to Iraq, Kenya, Uganda, uh, Poland uh, last year to work with uh, Ukrainian refugees, um, speak at conferences. And it's just blending and integrating of science and our faith and biblical principles that just is astounding and overwhelming and, and really the heart of transformation. Well, I, I know there is so, so, so much that you can tell us about this far more than we have time for this morning. Hopefully we'll have another chance to, to do more in the future. But in brief today, um, how does the call here in Romans 12 to, to be transformed, how do you see that work its way out with the people that you treat? Yeah, so a powerful passage. That's how you and I got, you know, so kindled on this by uh, sharing these uh, insights. But to me, the foundation of transformation is laid in, in verse one. Uh, he says to offer our body as a living sacrifice. You know, we're not to kill ourselves. Um, our body is what acts out our decisions. So it's really our decisions that are our sacrifice or our spiritual act of worship. When we make holy and acceptable decisions, that's our spiritual act of worship. You know, on Sunday morning, we can be singing praises and, you know, God, you're my number one, you're my everything. So words reveal our intellectual theology but our decisions reveal our practical theology. At the Last Supper, Peter was told by Jesus, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. And Peter's like, you're right. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I'm going to screw up. No, he didn't say that. The Bible tells us that he says, I'll never do that. In fact, I'll lay down my life for you before I do anything stupid like that. 
But we know a few hours later, even though intellectually he knew and that he voiced what his worship, his object of his worship was, a few hours later, he totally chokes and is worshiping something else. And Jesus is, you know, 287 on his list of things to worship. So to understand the renewing of the mind, it's important to understand this healing principle that God has designed into our brain and that Jesus cites in his healing prescription that I just told you about. And that's the fundamental principle of neuroplasticity. So neuroplasticity is this principle that our brain can change and it changes based on the decisions that we make. So to me, decision-making is the exercise for the brain. When we make good decisions, our brain chemistry gets stronger, rewired, recircuited, chemically balanced. The Bible says renewed. We make poor decisions, our brain chemistry gets injured, short-circuited. Or Paul uses words like um, reprobate, degenerate, double-minded, hardened, calloused. Again, the Bible and science talk about the same thing, just using different vocabulary. Now, to put it all together, we need to appreciate the interplay of our spirit, mind, and body. So our mind sphere, that decision-making, determines our brain chemistry. So we make good decisions with our mind, then our brain chemistry gets better, healed, renewed. But what determines the quality of our decisions? And that's where our belief system comes into play. So that's that spiritual sphere. So it's all about what are we basing our decisions on? What's that belief system? So in a computer, you have hardware, like the brain, you have software, the operating system, that's like the mind. But it's really important for the that owner of the computer to use the designer's instruction manual. If the owner isn't using the designer's instruction manual, we're not going to get very much out of that computer, that bicycle, that iPhone, that bookshelf, you know, whatever. Each designer gives you an instruction manual says, here's how you get the most out of this thing I've, I've developed. Well, God has given us that instruction manual, the B-I-B-L-E, the best instruction book for living every day. That's what we need to use spiritually to be able to affect our decisions in a healthy way to lead to healthy brain chemistry. So that's how that ties together all three aspects, spirit, mind, body, in that Romans 12, 1 and 2 passage so we can live it out and not just know what the right thing to do is, but to be able to be doers of the word. Oh, wow. You are packing so much into these senses. This is so, so awesome. Um, talk about, you, you, you talked, when, when you and I talked before, you said something that stuck with me so much. You, you talked about the importance of micro changes and the, I guess, related to decisions like you're talking about and, and even changes that we can't detect. It was so encouraging to me because there are so many decisions that I make in a given day and even decisions to obey the Lord. And I just sometimes feel like I'm not getting anywhere. And so could you talk about the importance of those micro decisions in the overall change and the, and the transformation that can happen? Yeah, so decision-making is the key, right? Um, it improves our brain chemistry. We'll make good decisions. It's the exercise for the brain. Um, it's how we grow and develop psychologically and mature. And that's the process of sanctification, being able to purge misinformation and replace it with the truth, uh, purging Satan's lies. And that's how we become more sanctified. Well, Solomon knew this. He had only one wish. He came from an incredibly dysfunctional family, like seven, eight stepmothers and 20-some brothers and stepsisters, brother rapes sister, brother kills brother, brother tries to kill dad. Of all the things Solomon could have wished for, he wished for wisdom or to be a godly decision maker. And so sometimes we think in our lives that in order to change our life, we need to make these big, drastic overhaul of decisions to move forward. But most of the time, in most situations, we, that's unrealistic. It's really about small, minor changes 
that accumulate over time and build on each other. And so the way I explain it to patients, it's like push-ups. You know, I usually speak to middle schools and I'll get a slender female and a big muscular guy. I'll get them up in front of the class. They face the class. We look at their physique. They turn around, look at their physique. I say, okay, give me one push-up. They go down, do one push-up. They stand up. When we look at their physique, no change. But microscopically, incredible things were happening at their bone, muscle, muscle cells, tendons, ligaments. And even though there was no macroscopic change, those microscopic changes made it easier for them to do two push-ups the next day, five push-ups by the end of the week, 10 push-ups the following week, 25 push-ups in three weeks, 40 push-ups in a month. Now you see macroscopic changes in front of the mirror. So those microscopic changes lead to macroscopic changes. We just don't have very good radar to appreciate the microscopic changes psychologically or spiritually in our growth process. We're expecting these big monumental. Well, Paul, whenever he got knocked off the donkey, he took three years of training to learn. He just didn't come out a wizard. You know, he had to train. And it was a bunch of little decisions going from the sinner and the killer that he was to somebody who was the you know great stalwart of the church. Um, it took a lot of little decisions in him growing with training and perseverance and, uh, and, and discipleship. And to me, a, a passage that's real important is in John, whenever uh, Jesus changes water into wine, he, uh, he tells Mary, you know, it's not my time, woman. And uh, she goes to the servants, whatever he tells you, you do. And he, he, she didn't know what he was going to say. But so many times we're waiting for this big audible voice of God to say, Carl, do this now. And it's this big monumental thing. I've never heard his audible voice. I've heard him speak in my spirit a number of times, but it's really, he, uh, he's told us so many times about the little things in life and how to be able to do those little things. And as we do those little things, those microscopic changes that don't seem very huge will lead to macroscopic changes. And that's where we see real transformation occur. A principle for me is whenever people want to be good at the piano, they practice being good at the piano. When they want to be good at football, they practice being good at football. If you want to be good at things, practice being good at things. So to me that, you know, you practice getting up on time, showing up on time, making your bed, um, resisting any little temptations that you can resist, that extra donut, uh, you know, whatever. All those little things, those little decisions, it's amazing how those microscopic changes lead to incredible macroscopic transformational changes. Mm. Wow, that, that is so, so good. Again, so much more we could talk about here. I have one more question for you this morning. What would you say to someone who has been dealing with a negative behavior or thought pattern for years, maybe even decades, and maybe they're just giving up hope that they can ever be transformed? Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of times that person thinks like they're the only one in that place. But now all the statistics show, you know, there's so many people that are struggling as even before COVID, but ever since COVID, even more. Um, so I'm just going to share a couple passages that, that come to mind about that, that concept. Uh, to me, the story of Lazarus, you know, he was sick. Jesus, come help him. I got stuff to do. All right, Jesus is late. Lazarus dies. People are bummed out, giving Jesus the business. Jesus goes in and says, Lazarus, rise, come forth. Lazarus is raised from the dead. But then the next thing Jesus says is to the people around Lazarus, hey, unbind him. And that's because Lazarus had death wrappings around his face, around his body that interfered with his perspective, his view, uh, um, his, his freedom, his walk, his gait. To me, that's a story of us. Whenever we come to 
in their relationship with God. We're spiritually reborn, born again. Uh, but we all have death wrappings. We all have psychological baggage. None of us get a brain transplant. It would be nice. We're new creations. We have new potential, but we don't get a new brain. We still have our old brain with a lot of hurts, wounds, misinformation, distortions. Um, it would be nice if we got a brain transplant. Our sin slate is washed clean, but our memory banks are not washed clean. So we all need help unbinding. None of us can unbind ourselves, and that's why God puts us into different sized communities, uh, marriage, family, extended family, church community, uh, small groups, to be able to help unbind each other. Nobody had perfect brain chemistry except for Jesus. So we all have psychological issues. So you get over it. You got issues. People around you have issues. You know, we're there to help unbind each other and to let other people help unbind us. Change is possible and inevitable. Science and the Bible are clear about this, but you determine the direction of that change based on the decisions you make, as we've talked with about neuroplasticity, psychological maturing, sanctification, all based on the decisions that we make. A lot of these decisions are based on unconscious material, stuff that's below the surface that we have to dig in and be a lot better at taking inventory of. Um, and Paul relates to this pretty easily in that Romans 7 passage where he says, the good things I want to do, I don't do. The bad things I don't want to do, I do. Woe be me. It, the sin, it's the flesh and the spirit that were within me. Who's going to win? Wretched man that I am. Woe be me. Garbage in is garbage out. And we need to be able to do a better job at understanding. So to take some time to self-reflect, to look back. Um, and what, you know, what's deep inside there that's causing me to make wrong decisions on a regular basis or have these patterns? For me, that's an area where I struggled. Uh, we moved around a lot when I was a kid. Um, at age five, I was uh, God placed decision-making on my heart. I always wanted to help people with decision-making. I didn't know that was a psychiatrist until I watched I Dream of Jeannie and MASH and the Bob Newhart show. Um, but we moved around a lot when I was a kid. I stuttered, uh, got bullied, um, had anxiety, depression, started using a lot of alcohol and some other drug use, um, a lot of inappropriate behavior in high school, ended up losing a uh, baseball scholarship. I lost an Air Force ROTC scholarship, got caught cheating at Duke University on a math test, got put on academic probation, kept on drinking, drinking, um, almost got kicked out of school, uh, almost flunked out of school. I'm a great test taker. I was able to do score well on the MCAS. I made it on the waiting list at New Jersey Medical School. And two days before the semester started, the, um, the registrar's office called and said, Carl, this is a miracle. We've never gotten this low on our waiting list before, but we got to your number. If you want to come in, we got a place for you. I said, sure. Um, well, I just continued. I said, wow, everything is working out, so I must be doing okay. I continued drinking and uh, inappropriate behavior. Uh, ended up in the middle of medical school. I got a DUI, and I got arrested for six counts of aggravated assault and ended up in jail. And it was at that time that Jesus spoke to me and said, Carl, you made me your savior when you were a little kid, which I did many times raising my hand, who wants to burn in hell forever when you're a little kid? Um, but you never made me the Lord of your life. If you make me the Lord of your life, I want to teach you things about decision-making that are going to transform your life and help you transform other people's lives as well. And when I heard Lord, I heard authority. When I heard authority, I heard author. And when I heard author, I realized that I thought I was the one that was the most qualified to write the book about how does Carl get the most out of life? I loved me more than anybody else. I knew me more than anybody else. I knew my weaknesses. I knew my dreams. I knew my hopes more than anybody. And I realized that, no, God loves me more. God cares for me more. He knows my future. He knows my weaknesses. It's only him that's qualified to write the instruction manual about how does Carl get the most out of life. And I dug into the word and 
started looking at decision-making from a scientific standpoint with my education and from the Bible. And that's where the curriculum came together. And that, so the curriculum I teach is what actually transformed my life over three years. And it's, I've seen just miraculous things with others. So to leave people with uh, my life verse is Isaiah 26.3. He gives him perfect peace whose mind is fixed on thee because he trusts you. In this merry-go-round of life that spins round and round, just like we learn the figure skaters or ballerinas or as a kid, one of those roundabouts. If you keep your eyes fixed on a stationary object, you won't get dizzy. But if you don't keep your eyes fixed on a stationary object, you're going to be dizzy, you're going to be nauseous, you're going to be stumbling, bumbling, can't see straight, can't walk straight, um, you're off course. And that's where we are in life a lot of times, unless we fix our eyes on Jesus and that you know, how do we use those biblical passages to be able to guide our decision-making process? And lastly, I think there's a verse that we misinterpret a lot, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, I can't do all things. I can't dunk a basketball. I can't turn back time. I can't be, bring people back from the dead. So like, well, what does that verse really mean? And if we look at the earlier verses in that, in that chapter, verse 4, Paul says to rejoice always. Treat others with compassion, gentleness, and grace. Don't be worried. Be thankful. Bring our request to God. Think on what's pure, commendable, excellent, um, situations worthy of praise. Practice what you've been discipled in. Be content no matter what. And so when he says, I can do all things, he's saying, I can do all these things that I just related to you, I just told you about, because they're all mind things. They're all psychological things. And as Christians, with the mind of Christ in us and through Christ, we can do all these things. We can command our mind and understand our mind if we dig into some of the psychological science and learn to apply that so we can be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Wow. So, so good. Carl, thank you so much for your time. It's incredibly valuable. And uh, blessings to you, blessings to Honey Lake Clinic, and for, for all the different ministries you're doing. And you, again, I am sure. Thank you, Dave, and appreciate you all. Have a great uh, holiday weekend. So there's a ton in there. You may want to go back and listen to that again, because it all kind of came really fast, and, and there's a lot of really valuable info in there. A lot in there about what we are to do in the practical outworking of our walk with the Lord, but he brought it back again in the end to we, we can do the things that God asks of us through Christ who strengthens us, which brings us back to Romans 12. One, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, that's, that's how we have the strength to serve him and to offer ourselves to him. Let's, let's stand and we're gonna sing one more song as we're dismissed today.